You're listening to a Westpac Wire podcast. Westpacwire.com.au. Well, hi there. I'm Michael Bennett, the editor of Westpac Wire. And for today's chat, I'm in a little cafe in Sydney with Matt Hassan, one of the bank's senior economists and, shall we say, resident property market watcher within the economics team. Is that a fair characterisation, Matt? Perhaps. I think everyone in Sydney tends to be a resident property market expert, but <laughs> that's, that's, my, that's my gig. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us because it's a pretty interesting time in the property market. There's a fair bit of excitement that perhaps, just perhaps, the market is bottoming out after basically falling since I think September, October-ish uh, 2017. And there's some pretty obvious reasons people are getting a bit more optimistic with RBA rate cuts, regulatory changes, the end of the election, which we'll get into. But I thought we could start with that initial question on everyone's lips, which is, do you agree that perhaps the market from a national perspective is finding a bottom or are people getting a bit, you know, sort of ahead of themselves? So I think there are some pretty clear signals now that we have uh, stabilised in the, the key Sydney and Melbourne markets. And that's probably enough to stabilise nationally. As always with property, you know, it varies a lot uh, city to city and um, the, the situation outside of Sydney and Melbourne still looks quite soft. Uh, but Sydney and Melbourne, we have, um, you know, we get the clearest lead indicators from auction market activity. Uh, and on that side of things, uh, we have seen a decisive move from the very weak auction clearance rates we saw late last year, early this year, around sort of 45 to 50% uh, clearance rates and very high withdrawal, pre-auction withdrawals, uh, to uh, a much better conditions. Uh, clearance rates in Sydney now up around mid-70s for the latest weekend. Uh, pre-auction withdrawals are below average. Um, the main caveat here is that we still have very weak uh, turnover. So it's still a very thin market. Um, and much of the dynamic that's changed over the last six months is uh, a, a rebalancing between uh, buyers and sellers. You know, we had the, an overhang, clear overhang of sellers second half of last year. Now it's in a much better condition. On the price side, you know, I think we've got a month and a half now, which looks to have shown prices stabilising in both those Sydney and, and Melbourne markets. Uh, so I think it's fair at this stage to call uh, a stabilisation. Whether we're at the bottom in the start of an up cycle, I think that's a bit more open to, to debate. And, and you just talked us through the clearance rates, which are a key sort of indicator. Perhaps also set the scene for us with, in terms of prices, because earlier this month, CoreLogic put out their monthly data and people were quite uh, a bit more happy than they have been in the previous sort of 18 months. So t- talk us through why that was. Yeah, so it's been a pretty torrid 18 months. Um, you know, for, for Sydney prices, we're down sort of 15% over the course of the cycle. That's uh, a, a big correction uh, in, by historical standards, particularly in the absence of an interest rate tightening. Um, so uh, to get uh, essentially a, a stable month when prices may be down 0.1% in Sydney, up 0.1% in Melbourne, but that's essentially stabilisation. That's, that's, and it's off the back of um, uh, moderating declines over the previous two or three months. So there was sort of a clear pattern prior to this, but June was sort of the most convincing indication yet that things have, have stabilised. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a welcome relief for an, an adjustment that has run uh, much uh, longer and, and further than, than expected a couple of years ago. And let's just step through some of those things that have happened in the past few months. Um, 
So firstly on RBA rate cuts, they've, they've cut twice in a row, which is fairly rare. Um, but how big an impact do you think that could have in the next sort of year or 18 months or so, given that some people might actually just keep their repayments the same. Um, I've seen stats that a lot of people do that. Um, and also, debt's already pretty high. Maybe perhaps people want to just pay down a bit more principal. So how much of an impact will rate cuts have, do you think? So uh, it, it's, at this stage, it's quite hard to judge. So our, our prior with this was that uh, cuts from the RBA uh, would uh, accelerate uh, the, the adjustment in, in the market. So it would sort of um, cushion the slowdown, not necessarily drive uh, a, a, the next leg of a pickup. Um, partly because uh, affordability is still, you know, it's improved significantly, uh, but it, it's still not in a uh, really attractive shape for, for owner-occupiers coming in. And we thought investors would, would be quite wary having just you know, ridden through a 15% price adjustment, they mightn't be so keen to, to jump back in. Um, so I think it is, it is a fair question to, to ask how much will this give, and, and as you say, you know, there are still you know, more restrictive lending conditions in place, uh, our household debt levels are high, there's a reluctance to increase debt, there's a more general, you know, as we've seen with consumer sentiment this week, sentiment's still not particularly positive, if anything it's weakened slightly over the last couple of months, well it has weakened slightly over the last couple of months. Uh, and with that, there's a you know, bit more unease around job security. The, all these things tend to uh, restrain uh, buyers uh, coming in. That said, you know, rate cuts, look, in, in the context of the historical cycles in the housing market, uh, rate cuts pretty much always generate something. Uh, and where we've got to, again, around sentiment, you know, buyer sentiment, with this, uh, assessments of whether it's a good time to buy, uh, price expectations in particular, uh, have rallied very strongly off, off the moves. Uh, and you'd say just off the back of that, that's, that's usually enough to carry a bit of an upswing. The question I, I think we're sort of getting to here is you know, how much, how many buyers are actually going to follow through on that sentiment? Will, will uh, owner, you know, upgraders still sit on their hands uh, because of these other concerns? You know, will first-time buyers have the wherewithal to, to enter the market? Uh, so it, it's a tricky one to judge. Um, you know, I think we would still see this as a, a fairly uh, slow recovery and, and our, we would see a long period of stabilisation. We don't think this is going to click straight through uh, into an upturn, but you know, we're going to keep keeping our eyes wide open in the next few months. Yeah, that point you make around sentiment is interesting, isn't it? Because this month's uh, Westpac Consumer Sentiment Survey showed at a headline level it was pretty poor reading, but the indicators around housing was very positive. But like you say, affordability, if, if the market sort of picked right back up again, affordability would become an issue, wouldn't it? Because yes, prices have, have fallen a bit, but they're still pretty high. So, so I guess one of our core concerns is that um, you know, if we were to see investors, so the, the big thing, the, the big response in terms of sentiment, the most spectacular response has been around price expectations. So house price, the Westpac House Price Expectations Index has jumped by th a third over the last couple of months. So that's, that's a combination of rate cuts and the federal election result, I think. Um, uh, so that's, that's a pretty spectacular turnaround. If we were, despite what I said before, if we were to see investors pile in, say they had really just gone to ground because of the tax policy concerns, if they did come rushing back, 
that would actually be a really awkward situation because if, as you say, if that started to drive prices up again, we could quickly get back into a really problematic situation that we got into in 2016 and 2017, where owner occupiers got priced out of the market really quickly. So uh, you know, there's there are some uncertainties around that, particularly you know with the sentiment factor playing into investor activity. Uh, but I think from from our starting point, we still think that this market going forward will be anchored by owner occupiers and that whatever investor activity comes through, uh, it's, it's unlikely to return to those, uh, those crazy days of you know, 2016, 2017. Uh, and so that means that any, any uh, upswing in prices will have short legs because owner occupiers will drop out of the picture and demand will weaken off. And do you think those owner occupiers are, are gonna be able to borrow quite a bit more access credit more easily because the other big thing that's happened which people have probably seen some headlines about is APRA the banking regulator has changed the guidelines around how banks assess the ability for people to service their loans so what, what what's happened there and how much of an impact might that have? The move from the 7% uh, floor rate on serviceability assessments we're shifting now to a two and a half percent buffer so in other words you, know, you look at the, the rate that's you're being offered and you add two and a half percentage points to that and then test your, your serviceability on the basis of that. Uh, that is a significant shift, uh, particularly if your, uh, your, your starting rate is well below 7%. So if you're in the owner-occupier principal and interest bucket in particular, then it has improved your, your um, borrowing capacity. Um, there are other shifts coming through that have tightened up um, borrowing capacity though. We've seen uh, other changes around expense assessments over the last year and some that are still coming through uh, will be tight, you know, working against that, that effect. So I think what we'll see is you know, in some segments there'll be a significant improvement in borrowing capacity but overall it might be quite a muted change. Um, what it may do more than anything is, is add to these, you know, the, the, the checklist of positives for the, for the market and you know, act as a catalyst for people to, to uh, act on, on buying. I think. Mm. And the other big positive, you've already touched on it, was the, I guess, getting the election out of the way and a bit of continuity, which people seem to have uh, responded well to. But there was also, if we also put in the fact that the government and the opposition actually supported this, this new scheme for first home buyers. A lot of people, it's, it might be at the margins, but a lot of people think that's also been positive. Because first home buyers already, uh, it's sort of come back, hasn't it? It has come back a little bit. Um, so there are, there are schemes at the state government level, I think, um, that are, are contributing to that. Um, you know, it, could be a, it could be a significant positive, uh, the, the federal schemes, but hard to judge at the moment. I think the, the devil's in the detail with this one. And um, one of the things we're sort of puzzling over is what the final form of this policy will be. You know, how easy will it be for, for prospective first home buyers to actually get access to this? What, what's the treatment uh, in terms of risk um, to, to the lenders? Uh, for these, these borrowers that are essentially you know, high LVR borrowers. Um, uh, and so there are a few, few question marks still to, to iron out. Um, but you know, the, the first home buyer segment is, is looking better than it has in a while. Uh, just the, the data out today showed finance approvals in that segment um, outperforming uh, other segments just for the last couple of months. So you know, that could be one, one area that does return. Mm, yeah, I found that too, reading the, the first home buyer scheme media release, I found it quite hard to work out exactly what was the exact details. Yeah, that, yeah, and, and it, it almost seems a little bit too good to be true, right? And, and always the problem with first home buyer schemes is, is that 
to, to make a sort of meaningful uh, impact on, on affordability um, you, and just to scale it up to something where all first home buyers are eligible for it is very expensive <laughs> and that's, that's always the problem with these schemes and that's why we tend to see um, tweaks at the state level with, with grants and, uh, and stamp duty concessions rather than um, a, a more blanket um, you know, percentage contribution approach. Mm, and some people don't seem to like the idea of trying to help affordability by stimulating demand. So you probably know this better than anyone, there is heaps of data that comes out um, and I think the official term is they're partials, they come out monthly. Um, which ones are you looking at at the moment particularly closely to see what might be in store in six months time and you know if the market has found its feet a bit? So for, it's horses for courses, so, so Sydney and Melbourne um, you know, the auction market's still by far and away the, the, the quickest um, take on, on the housing market. Um, and you know, there are some tricks to interpreting the, the data week to week. So I've taken up uh, putting out a, a weekly preview and review to, to sort of cut through that. Um, you know, the, the market is seasonal and there's other things at, at play. Uh, so that's, that's certainly a, a, a one to watch. I think um, in terms of sort of sustaining uh, the improvement, uh, you know, the, the, the level of turnover, I think, is a, is a key test. And so, um, aside from clearance rates, we're looking at uh, listings. So I think one of the, one of the big tests uh, for the market this time around, well, every year really, but this time in particular, is the spring selling season. As I said, it's a really thin market, um, but it's clearly turned and, and sentiment around housing in Sydney and Melbourne has definitely shifted. And so from here, you know, we'll be looking very closely at, how, at what new listings do. Do we start to see a, a significant increase in new listings? And how does that test you know, the price performance in, in the Sydney and Melbourne market? Uh, outside of the you know, Sydney and Melbourne where, where um, those auction indicators are really helpful, really you're, you're sort of relying on uh, you know, price data comes out, it's quite timely. The finance approvals data is usually pretty good. At the moment I would also flag, um, you know, haven't really mentioned supply. Um, so supply in the wider, in the physical sense is also pretty important. Right, so you get that from the listings, you know, what is the overhang of unsold stock? Um, it's pretty high in some segments like units in Melbourne. It's 12 months of, of uh, unsold stock hanging around in that market. Uh, so I think that, that, that supply element is important. In Sydney it's more around uh, what's happening in the rental market. So rental vacancy rates have been lifting and I think we've seen out this week news about uh, Sydney rents actually declining on it in a year ago. So you know, try, you know, one of the headwinds that we, we will see aside from those dynamics around investors and owner occupiers is whether these, the extent to which these supply factors weigh on particular market segments. Yeah, and you've got to wonder too, if people see two back-to-back -back rate cuts in a row and talk of more from the RBA, if whether there's also the risk that people are just a bit shocked um, and concerned about what that means for the economy and whether they hold back on listing their property for sale because of that. That's certainly something that showed through in the Consumer Sentiment Survey. Um, as I said, your sentiment's down nearly 5%. Uh, after two rate cuts, that's pretty unusual. Expectations for the economy over the next 12 months are down 16%. So there's, there's a, a specific concern about uh, the outlook for the economy over the next 12 months. And uh, related to that, there's a, a loss of, of job security. And these things do 
uh, act to inhibit buying and selling of what is you know, one of the most the biggest dis- purchase decisions or selling decisions you're likely to make. Um, as I said, you know, on balance, the, the sentiment around housing would outweigh those negatives, but perhaps with a, more of an element of, of caution in the consumer, we know risk aversion is very high, and maybe that, that's a bit more of a, a go-slow signal for, for activity. So we're in Sydney at the moment, and uh, you know, people in Sydney and Melbourne often get sort of accused, if you like, of focusing too much on those markets. Um, they do make up a sizable portion of the housing stock, but let's do a quick walk around the country um, because I, I had a quick look to refresh my memory. And if we talk about places like Darwin and Perth, um, I think I saw Darwin's off from peak around 30%. Uh, I think Perth price is down around 20 now. So talk us, I mean, they're, they're kind of related cities in a, in a sense in, in their economy. So how, how are they traveling and what, are they looking any better at the moment? So uh, un- unfortunately, not, not as such. There are, there are some aspects of both markets that have improved. Uh, Perth in particular had a real problem with a physical over- oversupply of stock. They had uh, rental vacancies rates up around seven and a half, eight percent I think Darwin had something similar. Um, and it was uh, very slow going and absorbing that overhang. Um, that's gone. Uh, in fact, Perth's rental vacancy rate's now lower than Sydney's. So it's, it's a pretty dramatic turnaround. Um, and when we look at aspects of the, the economy, yeah, the, the mining investment wind down has run its course. We've got decent commodity prices. You know, the, the, the state government finances are looking in better shape um, for, for once. Uh, and there's a bit more, um, there's a bit more happening with the, the state economy. Uh, and if you sort of go back about 12 months, um, maybe a little longer, it, it actually looked pretty um, likely to pull out of that. You know, it's been a five-year price correction, um, and the confidence was there. We were seeing uh, consumers in, in WA had been uh, very negative on price expectations for a long time. Uh, and time to buy assessments that had finally sort of turned around. Affordability had finally got to a level and that overhang of stock had gone and the economy was looking better and it looked like it was ready to go. And then it took another leg lower. And I think what's happened um, is uh, you know, the, 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 the tightening and uh, credit availability um, that we saw through the, the second half of last year to varying degrees uh, seems to have impacted more heavily uh, in those state markets. There, there may have been also you know, some underwater uh, owners sort of looking to take advantage of improved market conditions. So it might have sort of catalyzed a bit more price weakness as, as some stock came back onto the market. So if we roll ahead to now, um, it's still looking weak. Uh, the, uh, the extent of price declines has actually been worse in the, pro- in the Perth market than in Sydney and Melbourne over the last six months. Uh, I'm still reasonably hopeful that the market will find a base. As I said, a lot of those preconditions are there. But I think Perth and Darwin are kind of a, a bit of a warning that if, if you do get a price correction, if price correction becomes deep enough and long running enough, then it can be very hard to, to pull out of. Um, uh, even when you do have confidence in a better place and, and the, the numbers stack up a bit better on affordability. Um, I think the missing link in both, both markets at the moment is that we haven't seen any support from migration flows. Uh, and I think that's the thing that, that perhaps could be a catalyst, but it still looks, looks some way off for both markets, I suspect. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting one. Now, the other ones, Hobart, I think, has kind of defied the, <laughs> the broader downturn in the past, and that still seems all right. But 
Adelaide, Brisbane? Up until uh, about sort of towards the end of last year, um, they were both still seeing steady or slight price gains. I'm a little bit uh, concerned about uh, the, there's some weakness showing through in the Brisbane market that's sort of come out of nowhere. Um, again, I suspect it's this shift in, in, uh, in lending conditions more so than anything else. The rental vacancy rates are low, you know, the, the market never saw a big run up in prices, so that's, that's what sort of concerns me is the, the corrections sort of come off the back of no real, nothing much in the way of price gains. Uh, rental vacancy rates are really tight in, in Brisbane. Uh, so that one's uh, a little bit concerning, but again, you know, the, the fundamentals look pretty well placed for that market. So I think, uh, you know, given some rate cuts and a few other shifts, it should should stabilise. Uh, Adelaide has also sort of tapered off a bit. I think in terms of again similar theme. I think it's the, the borrowing capacity story. But not, both markets look reasonably well placed. You know, I know there's a there's a high rise construction story in Brisbane, but it looks to be much more confined than in Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, and most of that supply has already come onto the market, so I'm pretty comfortable with that one. Um, Hobart, uh, as you mentioned, you know, was, was, didn't have a correction, had a boom instead. Um, and, and that has uh, come off quite a bit over the last six months. Uh, it's an extremely tight market though. Um, the listings in, across uh, Tasmania, or across Hobart rather, is worth about two months of sales. Um, and, you know, the rental vacancy rates are, are excruciating. Um, similar story for Canberra, actually. So uh, the, I think on that side of things, you know, there's still, uh, you know, while they've had a, a strong run, um, you know, it's a really tight market and that's, that's difficult for, for buyers in that situation. Yeah, Hobart's been interesting. I, I understand the sort of lifestyle pull, if you like. Um, and then if I look at the regions, if we quickly touch on, on that, it, I wonder if there's a bit of that maybe going, because the, the regions have actually gone okay in the last few years too, haven't they? Yeah, so regions like uh, Geelong uh, and uh, you know, particularly, it does vary. You, know, you, you say regions and you include some, some places like Gold Coast and Sunshine Coast, which don't feel that regional. But, um, but uh, mining regions, you know, they have stabilised after a, a, a really rough trot. Um, again, improving prices are, are a factor there. You've got some of the other areas where issues around drought or uh, you know, tourism industry are, are a bit more bit iffier. But generally speaking, um, I, like, I think as you're sort of mentioning, that those sort of um, almost sort of satellite cities uh, relating to the big hubs, Sydney and Melbourne, have performed reasonably well. Again, I think that they share some of those dynamics that we're seeing in, in Brisbane and Adelaide where that tightening in credit conditions ha has taken a lot of the, the steam out, but they never, they haven't gone through the same price corrections that we've seen in, in Sydney and Melbourne by any means. And, and so to sum up um, what this all means for the broader economy, uh, I think Westpac is still forecasting, your team is still forecasting one more rate cut uh, around the end of the year. Um, is the concern, and I think you've touched on this previously, is the concern with all this that if the, if the sort of market hasn't found a bottom, that this weakness flows through for an even longer period into the jobs market because consumer sentiment remains weak and things like residential construction remain soft? Yeah, so the, it's the wider housing piece. So we know housing uh, affects the, the economy in, in multiple ways. Um, uh, that the housing construction cycle is a definite drag on growth. It's a headwind that emerged 
halfway through last year and we get a pretty good feel for what's happening there and that's, that's going to be in place for the rest of this year. Um, it should start to diminish as we get through 2020. Um, the other spillovers are, th are through consumer spending and the, the wealth effect uh, in particular. Uh, so as I said, we see these rate cuts as cushioning these cycles but not preventing the headwinds from flowing through and our, our concern is that um, you know, while we've got the preconditions or what looks to be a, a stabilisation in place for Sydney and Melbourne, you know, we think it's still going to be a shaky uh, period ahead for prices. It's not going to move straight into an upturn. Uh, and these drags are going to remain quite intense. Um, and for us, the, the labour market is, is, is sort of breaking to the weak side of the RBA's expectations. You know, they've made it pretty clear they want the unemployment rate to be around four and a half. Uh, we think it's going to be nearer to five and a half. So that, that's the main reason we see further easing as necessary from, uh, from the RBA. Uh, the timing is getting pretty uh, difficult to pinpoint. Uh, we'll have a few more positives in the mix with housing. Uh, but I think where we take our cues from in the data this week um, is the consumer sentiment results. You know, sort of telling you that, yes, you, you're getting some, some cushioning effects coming through uh, around housing uh, and the prospect of a stabilisation looks pretty good there and eventually that should start to stabilise things like dwelling approvals and, and dwelling construction. But for the wider consumer mood it doesn't look to have prevented a, a weakening uh, and that says to us that consumer spending is still going to be soft and you know, that flows back through business investment and employment decisions. So the momentum in the economy still looks pretty sluggish at best uh, and some of these housing related improvements could be a while in coming. And the other unknown related to all that um, is these tax cuts, um, which probably make it very hard for you guys to forecast timing because who knows when and how that's going to flow through and affect things. That, that's right. Uh, and how are households going to uh, react with them. You know, they, um, I, I don't know, I haven't been able to confirm the figure, but uh, people have been talking about uh, people pulling forward their uh, their tax returns. They had 650,000 returns filed on the 1st first, first of July. Uh, and, and that may, obviously there's a bit of urgency to get, to get the cash. Whether it gets spent though, maybe it's just put towards paying off debt rather than, than spending. Maybe it doesn't generate much uh, traction with the economy as well. So uh, yeah, we're, we're, unfortunately we're coming into that period where um, part of what we're doing is also trying to assess the impact of policy easing. And it's going to be, be a harder thing to do than, than just assessing momentum in the economy. Yeah, there's always lots to watch. Thanks for joining us, Matt. You're welcome. That's all from us today at Westpac Wire. For more, head to westpacwire.com.au. Thanks for listening.